Dr. Dale Wheelerton, thank you so much for joining me. Um, it's a real pleasure to have you on. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Connor. It's my pleasure as well. So where are you from, Dale? Where did you grow up? Uh, so I'm from Kildare originally, um, just between Kildare and Monastraven, Kildare Town and Monastraven. Um, But I moved to Dublin when I was 17 to go to college and for the last 10 years was living in Dublin, um, doing my undergraduate and my PhD. Your PhD was in behavioral science? Yeah, so I originally trained as a physiotherapist. So I've had a, I've taken the, <laughs> the path less taken Um in the sense that I was originally a physio and I then went into a PhD in behavioral sciences, looking at the impact of sleep deprivation on surgical performance in our surgeons. In the middle of my PhD, then the pandemic hit us. So actually the concept of fatigue and sleep deprivation, particularly on healthcare workers, became uh, quite important research. Mm. And once I finished up my PhD, I said, it's time to climb down from the ivory tower of academia for a little bit and instead climbed up a different ivory tower and went into consulting in human capital in uh, one of the big four. And there I specialized in behavior change and culture transformation. So I've always been deeply interested in understanding the science of humans and how humans interact with one another and behave within environments. And I always wanted to be able to use that skill set then essentially for uh, improving health and well-being, bringing myself back to my roots as a physio, which is ultimately to try and improve public health. And so the concept of the four day week um, had really been starting in the beginning of my PhD. And so I uh, volunteered with the Irish campaign and now I'm CEO of four day week global four day week global. Then we're actually uh, based out of New Zealand and we have staff in six continents across the globe. So we as an organization have been responsible for conducting pilot studies across the globe, evaluating the effectiveness of reduced working hours on individuals, organizations and societal outcomes. And yeah. a lot of the conversation around a four day week has been uh, fueled by the publication of a lot of our data from those pilot studies over the last 12 months. So the movement, would it be fair to say, originated in New Zealand? Well, I suppose the conversation around working time, I wouldn't like to think that 4 Day Week Global alone has been the ones responsible for working time conversations. You look back at the history of, of work, um, mm. when, you know, when man worked six, uh, six days a week and then you had the likes of Henry Ford institutionalizing a five day week in conjunction with the trade union uh, movement in around the 1920s. So in many ways, four day week global, yes, we have been leading out. We're the, we're the face in many instances because we're the ones producing data, but mm. there are many stakeholders, including trade union representatives and campaigns at local level who have been advocating for this uh, as well. So what kind of timeline timeline are we talking about here? When did this movement originate? Um, was it uh, from the research I've done, we're looking at 2015, where 2016, where it really started to take off, right? Just pre-pandemic, but the pandemic fueled it. Yeah, so the the first, I suppose, landmark study around reduced working times, so we always look at Nordic countries, right? Mm. As the beacon Benchmark, of... Yeah of work-life balance and so in many instances like nordic working hours have always been lower relative to other western european or 
US or Australasian uh, countries. So Iceland actually brought in an, uh, a national trial back in 2015-16 where they reduced their working hours, uh, particularly on public servants as well, and found that there was a net benefit overall for um, society and for you know the public service. Four Day Week Global then was a separate uh, project that um, I suppose the genesis came from a, a trial within a company called Perpetual Guardian, which is based out of Auckland. And the founders of Four Day Week Global, Andrew Barnes and Charlotte Lockhart, essentially trials this four day week concept on their own company. And mm. uh, lo and behold, um, found that this works and that there was a series of benefits from it. And the, the independent evaluation by the academics essentially spearheaded this conversation and from that four day global was founded so that was actually only in 2017 2018 um and then COVID-19 happened so really in many ways working time went to the back burner because flexible and hybrid working came mm. to the forefront of conversation but now I think what we have seen in this kind of post-pandemic era is that flexible and hybrid um, aren't necessarily working to their fullest potential. And so the, the conversation around reduced working hours, again, has come to the forefront. In that New Zealand trial, I suppose, that helped to spark a movement, were they able to ascertain, um, as well as the health and wellness benefits, were they able to look at product productivity? Were they able to look at activity um, and see a, a correlating benefit from those reduced hours? those reduced days also yeah and i think that's what's been probably to a certain degree part of the success of a four-day week global as an as an entity is that andrew barnes is a businessman so he he is an entrepreneur himself and he he trials this not necessarily because he was interested in the health and well-being of his workforce but from an understanding that if actually i improve that i might improve productivity of my business and so his main interest was ensuring that productivity was maintained or improved throughout the trial. And so he founded what is now our trademarked principle of 180-100, which is 100% pay for 80% time for 100% output. And that has meant that we have been able to guarantee that there is something in this for both the worker and the employer. So trials are set up in such a way that there are sufficient safeguards and evaluations to ensure that productivity outcomes or whatever the business um, end are being met. But also then once they are being met, that we're guaranteeing uh, time off for staff to, to rest and recover and to engage in, in you know hobbies that they maybe not maybe didn't have time to do before this. I think that's very interesting. So we're, what we're talking about is, is a founder, a CEO of an organization beginning this trial and embarking on this odyssey, if you like, with the hope of increasing productivity and and getting the outcome he was looking for. Um, because people might have assumed this could be some a bunch of disgruntled trade unionists somewhere, but it's actually coming from, if you like, the employer side. Um, okay, so... What are the, for the employees, what are the principal benefits of moving from a five-day week to a four-day week? Employees. Employees first, yeah. So time, I suppose, is the greatest currency we could ask for. Um, we're all time poor and we all want more time to do the things that we enjoy doing. And in many ways, we our work week 
we spend about a third of our adult life, if not more, within work. So obviously that's going to have a net benefit or you know a net negative effect on our health and our well-being. Mm. Similarly, you know, it's not as easy as us being able to segment the end of our workday and say that's done now. I enter into my life. You hear constantly people struggling to to detach from work and to um, establish a level of work-life balance, and that's because work in the 21st century is not crafted in a way that actually facilitates proper uh, work-life balance and flexible and hybrid while they are brilliant interventions if not done properly and with sufficient safeguards that only further blurs the boundaries between what is a work-life boundary in many ways I feel like we have an industrial revolution style um, model of work now where factories aren't necessarily being built beside or houses aren't being built beside factories but actually the factory is now in your sitting room so Mm. I think the worker is crying out for an intervention that gives them permission to switch off. Um, and similarly, then they must train upon themselves their ability to detach from work. But you must first lead the horse to water. Uh, and I think that's what a four day week is doing in its essence is saying that we don't expect you to be online or to be in person here all of the time. But when you are here, we expect good, honest, productive work. That's the responsibility of the worker. But equally, when organizations are actually embarking on a four-day week transition, we apply what's called Parkinson's law. So you reduce the time obviously available to complete a task um, and hopefully the task will still get done. That's what Parkinson's law essentially you know, asserts. But that means that unproductive time essentially gets squeezed out of your organization. So you have to be a lot more deliberate about deep work, you know, individualized work, reducing distractions, reorganizing meetings, reorganizing technology and processes so that when you are in work, that it is productive work. And that's not just beneficial to the employer, but actually for the individual worker, they get a much better sense of achievement in the work that they're doing because you're moving away from this arbitrary metric of productivity being something that's time-based to actually something that is very transparent clear uh, and checklist by the end of the week you can say that you've done your week's work so we're talking about task based activities the tasks are accomplished ideally within the four days um which helps facilitate which helps us move from a five to a four day um and program so what other benefits apart from the mental health um, the obvious well-being benefits. I mean, we all know what it's like to to have a a four-day week and a three-day weekend. We do it all the time, and there is something life-affirming, l- l- sustaining, reinvigorating about getting that long weekend. People really look forward to it. There's a huge amount of enjoyment, and very often you you come back to work like you, you've been sprung, you know, you, from from a cannon. It, you just get so much fulfillment and, and nourishment from that time off. Aside from well-being, um, is there anything else? So we know productivity. Can we can we ascertain and can we be certain that productivity, generally speaking, goes up or stays the same when people move from five to four days? Is there any data that you can can share yeah. around that? Yeah. So we've worked with over three hundred and fifty companies now at different phases of of pilot and. Over 90% of our companies are staying and continuing on with a a four-day week trial. And that is because productivity scoring by management is at a higher level than baseline when they were part of their five-day week. Um, Similarly, those organizations reporting on revenue and willing to disclose that have seen 
growth uh, an, an improvement in profit making throughout the trial through the implementation of a four-day week and anyone who has any background in psychology or human performance knows that when you're trying to build elite performance and high performance cultures within workplaces you will need to look at other industries where that exists like sport like aviation they really factor in the importance of rest in the equation in order to build high performance. So in many ways, I think that's what's actually happening and creating that performance benefit for the individual, but more importantly then for for management, for the business in and of itself. Hmm. I think, there, and in many ways, I, I don't like to completely separate the worker from the employer because in, in, in many ways, this intervention actually is a joint partnership and everyone has a, a vested interest in this actually being working for them because everyone wins um when people have more time as well they have been able to be more physically active they're getting more sleep they're reporting lower levels of stress i mean so when you couple all of those lifestyle factors not only does it improve individuals performance outside of work but it also filters into work as well mm. um, and two other really important paradigms in the future of work that we need to consider is how are we as work as a unit creating further equality or inequity within society and similarly creating a more sustainable or more unsustainable world um it's not just on government to enable those sort of changes it's on businesses to have strategies that work and a four-day week intervention has been disproportionately benefiting women in workplaces both from a promotion perspective but also from that traditional non-work burden of responsibility that lies on women and secondly, from a sustainability point of view, we have seen a 36 minute reduction in commuting time per person per week throughout the trial, which when you extrapolate that to a larger population sample size is obviously quite huge from a carbon emissions perspective. Hmm. Lastly, um, over two fifths of the participants have said that they are engaging in more pro-sustainable behaviours as well, which means that and it's a whole field of um, well-being that when you feel you have more sustainable well-being, you tend to do more positive things for the world. When you're time poor, you tend to do quite selfish things. Um, what challenges are you facing right now from society, from the culture, from the from the corporate space? What pushback are you getting in advancing the movement? In many ways, um, it's it constantly surprises me at the rapid rate at which this conversation has grown. Um, and we think we think about four day week and we think we've been talking about it for a long time. But actually, this time last year, the majority of workers were saying this is not something that can be done. And we have proven the opposite. We've seen case studies now from 15 to 16 sectors. So when we talk to business leaders, it's it's no longer this can't be done. It's this can't be done in my organization. And when we have them at that point, it's a much easier narrative because we can start to spelling myths about why things won't work. Um, we have this type of business model, a billable by hour model. So we provide case studies to say, well, here's how other billable by hour, billable by hour industries have done it. We're a 24 hour sector. Maybe four day week looks, you know, we can't close down business on a Friday. You don't have to. Maybe a four day week looks very different for you. Maybe you have half your staff Monday, Thursday, half your staff Tuesday to Friday. Maybe it's five shorter days. Maybe you have to hire more staff, but actually you've completely cut out, cut down on use of agency staff or your recruitment and retention issue has been addressed. So we're, we have case studies essentially to show 
what works better in each of these industries and how each industry can essentially win. Um, so we provide that framework, we provide the case studies, we provide best practice, and it's up to organizations then essentially to bite um, and see whether this is something they want to do. I think that the there is a growing narrative more so just generally now in the world of work around return to office mandates and essentially a form of micromanagement starting to come back in in a post-pandemic world. And it's 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 sad to see it because I suppose so much we saw so much benefits from pandemic when we gave people autonomy and flexibility over their work, work got done. That in many ways I think this is being driven by a more vested interest in real estate. Um a return of investment of real estate property uh, as opposed to trying to build any sort of genuine authentic culture within workplaces so in many ways the tide is very much in, in our favor um, and flexible and hybrid and the emergence of gen z who bring very different preferences to their work um, would suggest that everything is moving towards a more flexible hybrid and lower working hour culture in the trials that you've conducted so far are they across industries have you concentrated on the corporate space? Are there some industries you find that it it works better than others? Yeah, it's a great question. So it used to really, uh, I used to find it quite funny because we would talk to professional services and they'd be like, oh, well, I could see how it could be done here and here, but it could be done in professional services. And I would say to them, you're the most overrepresented sample <laughs> in, our, in our studies. So in yes, the white collar sectors have by and large been the ones to come and volunteer themselves for these programs in the first place. They always have been. They're always the front runners in trying to get a unique value proposition for future um, employers. Saying that we have had representation from 16 sectors. So essentially we have someone from somewhere um, globally. And when we have been you know, deliberate in our attempts, if we can't hire them in pilots, that we're seeking out case studies of how they are done outside of our pilots or through our consulting or whatever. So we have actually had healthcare, we've had policing, we've had um we've had public sector, we've, you know, we've seen we've seen loads of different examples of this as well. And we we have those sort of case studies. We've written the book on this three times as well within our own team. So we, we're always looking for diversifying that sample. And also the second thing is making sure that this is not just going to be an intervention for Western English speaking countries that actually can afford a week be something that is beneficial for other countries as well, which is why we now have pilots running in six continents to try and understand that relationship between working hours and culture of the society in which it's operating. Of the, the extensive trialing that has been done, um, the majority have been successful and, and, and demonstrated huge benefits of those that haven't worked. How, what kind of percentage haven't worked out? And it has to, do we understand the reasons why the four day work week didn't work out for those particular companies? And, yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's a really important question to ask because I certainly don't want, I don't want to be seen as someone who says that this, that this is, an easy intervention to do it's certainly mm. not um four day week should be challenging for your organization to implement but it should be a worthwhile challenge and what we've seen is that it's it's less than 10 percent of companies in our trials that are returning to a five-day week um trial or they're returning to a, a a more flexible intervention than which they had maybe before the trial but not quite a four-day week and 
I actually think that's a success in and of itself. If you're starting off and if you're ending in a better place than where you started off, then we've done some positive impact on that organization. Mm. The main reason why organizations don't continue on with a trial or they drop out um, from a trial can be for multiple reasons. So we typically bring organizations to uh, an eight week syllabus of change management and preparing them, safeguarding them and, you know, making sure that when they actually embark on the trial, that they know what they're getting themselves into and what to expect and how to safeguard against, you know, any red flags in the organization. So that incorporates, you know, needing to communicate this message appropriately. Uh, it's a very sensitive message to communicate to who's going to be impacted um, at what stage are shareholders happy, are clients happy. So you do need to have all of that messaging essentially correct. And if you don't and it lands badly, then obviously some organizations drop out at that point. We have had companies drop out because the board wasn't informed um, about the decision. So we've seen that. We have seen organizations who maybe apply a very rigid mindset about their four-day week too early on in the pilot and then struggle to actually develop a growth mindset and innovate and you know realize that well what we first intended actually hasn't worked so we need to adapt and try something different it is a pilot so that's why we phrase it as such you should it should be seen as an experiment and mm. it's something that's not going to work straight away but something that will get better and better and better the more you invest time into it thirdly then it needs to be a, a ground up level intervention as much as it is enabled by top-down leadership so you might have an idea of how a four-day week is going to work for your organization as a manager but you don't understand how the day-to-day -day operations are happening on the ground and so we always recommend that you bring you know stakeholders from analyst level all the way up to director level into the conversation around deciding what type of four-day week and what are the kind of the the boundaries of that right of that four-day week um so they're kind of reasons why we see organizations drop out of the trial none have been necessarily because they haven't seen that this could be something beneficial staff have by and large tried trials not reported a significant intensity of work um and have by and large found this to be a hugely positive intervention but i think for some organizations it might they may not just be ready to do it or when they embark on it they didn't realize how much work it actually was going to be in order to try and get it right um have you looked at the 32 hour work week so we reduced from 40 to 32 i mean that would have a commensurate but 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 maybe people work over 5 or 6 days or whatever do you think the it's the fact that they're working 5 days versus the number of hours is there any data or research around that? If you know what I'm getting at. I do. Um, and just to clarify, we do advocate for reduced working hours, not a compressed working week. So okay. we're, not, we're not advocating for 40 hours into four days. We're advocating for 32 hours in four into, days. Yeah. And and put pay of five days. So and, and for that, that can sound quite jarring to people because they're saying, well, it's essentially a 20% pay increase. That's what they say to us. Mm. But what we say is actually you should be paying for productivity, not for time. And that's the root of our philosophy. So it's a really good question. And my 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 hypothesis would be actually, yes, closing operations if possible uh, and creating a three-day week end is probably the best intervention in order to facilitate really deep rest um, of the worker. 
but that's not feasible in in many industries so we have to look at what the business service model is of the industry and adapt to what that industry can cope with so really interestingly in speaking to our Swedish partners, when we talk about a four-day week, they think about that as Friday, Saturday, Sunday, like society essentially like shutting down operations for another day. Whereas when we talk about in Ireland, people would never consider, you know, closing business, uh, all businesses on a Friday. So depending on the the level of conversation and, and working hours that's and the culture around working hours, that's playing out slightly differently. So... The, an- the short answer is no, we don't know. But the long, my assumption would be that yes, longer periods of time of rest are probably better for people. What resistance, if any, do you get from employees, from workers? Does that will, yeah, and I, and there will always be a percentage of people who actually like being in work. Mm. Um, provides them a huge purpose. It's a place where they can connect with people. They may not have people outside of work um, to, to connect with people. And for some others, home may not be a safe place for them. Um, and so that's their side of people. And then there's, yeah, and then there's, I suppose, people who might be very deeply ingrained in their understanding that, no, I'm here nine to five and therefore that's my life and that's what I'm doing. And I'm not changing anything about my my performance or how I do my work that's so those people can be like you know quite resistant to these sort of things and so what Andrew Barnes actually did within his own company was make this an opt-in process so uh, if you didn't want to be part of the trial you didn't have to be part of the trial and I think depending on your culture that sort of thing may land or may not land but it's always nice to consider for those percentage of people who don't want this how are you going to manage them um how would you ensure um, that a four-day work week doesn't um, negatively impact, say, job security, wages, um, benefits for workers? So an employer might be thinking quite possibly, yeah, okay, I'll go down to a four-day work week on certain conditions. And those conditions could be related to all kinds of things, salary and benefits, et cetera. Is there any guardrails or, or any thoughts on on that piece? Yeah, and it is certainly a really important conversation. And it's the four-day week being tied up in the conversation around AI as well and job losses or job creation. So when companies sign up to our trials, they have to commit to adhering to the 180-100 principle. So actually, mm-hmm. there can't be a deduction in pay um, commensurate to the reduction in working time. Otherwise, you aren't part of our trial and we're not going to promote that philosophy. Mm-hmm. My my thoughts and we often get asked the question in reverse around part-time workers how do we actually manage part-time workers then and people will say you know reduce their working time pro rata so actually the the four-day worker who was getting paid 80 percent is going down to a 3.25 day or something Hmm. my thoughts my personal thoughts would be actually we need to bump them people back up to 100 percent because those people um, by and large are producing similar levels of output to their five-day week colleagues and if we're talking about creating equity within workplaces then we should be rewarding that um you know consistently across a group and we know that women are the group most likely to take part-time work as well so what's created as an equitable policy i don't think is actually a, a very equitable policy when we're looking at it from our paradigm um the second thing i suppose is that it is it is a risk um 
we we obviously can't control how the conversation is going to go within certain organizations should they decide to embark on this but i think when i think the from an organizational behavior perspective it's not going to land um because flexibility is really important for people but also security to actually survive in life is equally secure is equally uh, important for people so people are moving with their feet now um in a way that they've never done before and that great resignation and job hopping you know that will continue if management don't create uh an attractive um employer value proposition to keep um and attract the right type of talent so it's a risk but i think it's a bigger risk for management to do it there could be um, an arms race for talent developing. Um, and I could see a, a scenario where the four day work week could be leveraged and used as a significant benefit. But that, that assumes that the competition, say, for example, in the tech space, most of the competition would maintain the five day week. If I go down to a four day week, well, then obviously I have a serious competitive advantage when it comes to attracting talent. Um, have you seen much of that developing? Oh, yeah. I mean, one of the main reasons business leaders in for, you know, for selfish, but, you know, important reasons is they are embarking on a four day week because they want to attract better talent and they want to retain their current talent. And that's why, by and large, in our trial, it has been small and medium enterprises because they are more agile and being able to implement something like this. They may not be able to compete on other forms of benefits like health insurance or salary, but they can offer something like this. And um, my my thoughts, at the rapid rate of which we're actually seeing this conversation around a four-day week, and we are seeing trials in big companies as well, and they're going to become more public next year, which is only going to create further competition for other companies to get on board. In 10 years' time, I think... We won't be talking about flexible or hybrid or four-day week. They'll be a given for the workforce. I think the power that the worker now has is not going to go away. Um, and I just think Gen Z are refusing to comply um, with, you know, traditional working expectations that many of us grew up with. Mm. Uh, and for them, um, they're not guaranteed the American dream anymore. So they look for something different from work. And many workplaces rely on young workers in order to, you know, survive and thrive. So work, the work, the management essentially need to create, you know, talent um, propositions that are going to attract those sort of highly skilled workers. So I think actually in 10 years time, it's not going to be those policies. It's going to be how well those policies are implemented. And we're seeing a lot more now. People are going to Glassdoor to see the culture of the organization um, and they're determining I want to work for that place because they have a good culture. They do their four day week right. They do hybrid right. Uh, I don't want to work for this company, which says they have all these benefits, but actually I know there's a huge amount of micromanagement. And yes, they might pay five grand more, but what's that at the end of the day in my, in my account, it's not going to get me a house any quicker. So they're the sort of things I see this new generation um, talking about and how they're going to essentially force management into new ways of thinking. If I was an employer and as a an entrepreneur listening to this, I would say, okay, Dale, you've convinced me. Sign me up for this trial, but I'm not going to disarm unilaterally, right? Meaning if everybody in my sector maintains a five-day and I lose one day, potentially 
a commercial day against my competitors, mm. this is a this could present a real problem for me, right? Because I'm thinking in sales organizations, you know, if you're if you're uh, you have a day of business development essentially lost. I mean, yes, you can cram into four days. What would your perspective be on that argument? That one day time lost. If you know, yeah, what I mean. that's a great perspective, and I I'm fully sympathetic to the needs of businesses, and and I I run this business now, so I'm acutely aware of that potential, but. I'm a lecturer in organizational behavior. So I'm actually going to speak from that hat as opposed to my four day week hat. Um, just because you work longer doesn't mean that you're being more productive. That's the basic equation that we're trying to settle. Burnout rates of organizations have risen and risen and risen. And despite well-being interventions and investment by organizations to improve the mental, mental health of their workforce, we're not moving the dial on it. So already you can look at that money and say, money lost. I've wasted money and it's not working. Second is work. There's not a lot of work done by many workforces on a Friday. And I know that because I've been in many jobs and I've seen productivity drop significantly on a Friday. Um, so you're keeping operations open and you're, you need to cost that and see, well, how much is that costing? And actually, how much am I producing on a Friday? Um, and is, that, is, is there a huge net benefit there? Um, thirdly, you need to look at the cost of burnout. So anyone who has you know, sees the power of the human worker as a resource, knows that my worker is not working to their fullest potential. I'm not producing the best quality deliverables. My worker is not able to think laterally and to innovate and to strategize because they're too tired. They realize that they're losing money by having that worker in that state. So my, 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 argument essentially is that if you want to get a human to work to their best potential then you need to leverage the science of human performance which says that there is only a finite amount of time that an individual can optimize their performance and in order to keep them at that level you need to factor in long deep periods of rest for them yeah the only thing as an employer what i might be thinking is okay well I can't guarantee my employee is going to be resting for those three days they have off. In fact, I don't know what they're doing. Um, I'm assuming there's, they're going to rest and recuperate, but I suppose time away from the office or the working environment is a, is a form of rest anyway, right? Anything that an individual can do to detach themselves from the stressors in their life is essentially facilitating uh, recovery in their physiology, physiological and psychological um states so and and then i suppose the other part of that equation would be well client is king and i want clients to feel like they can contact the business uh, on a friday and get answers to questions or get a deliverable across the line on a friday if needs be and so that's why if you have that sort of model there's no one size fits all for this four day week intervention so you can have some of your staff working monday thursday and some working tuesday friday you can always keep the office open if you want uh, you could have a more flexible Friday intervention. I was just speaking to someone yesterday who said um, that, that there's some of their staff check, they have to check the email at 12 on a Friday and have to check the email at three on a Friday. And if work comes in from a client, you know, they, they have to do it. But if it's not there, they're done for the day. They're not, they're not expected to be working that day, but they are just quality checking essentially throughout the day. And so they're the sort of thing that 
organizational leaders when they think outside the box about these other things are coming up with and yes it might not be hard rigid four-day week but we have a long way to go before we even get to a conversation around organizations really switching off on a friday and i think this is a really important progress step for many do you think that um it needs government mandating gov- a real push by government or can private enterprise drive it well my concern actually is that this will be only a private sector intervention you know i've i've worked in the public sector and i'm in the not for profit sector now and the competition now of the private sector relative to to those other two sectors is concerns me um the the public service is is not being appropriately resourced or the resources being allocated are not being appropriately um you know allocated or or utilized and it is as a result of that we're seeing services not working we're seeing lower staffing structures we're seeing current staff in healthcare now reporting higher levels of burnout than ever before and eventually those people are going to you know leave the public system themselves so we require public service um provision in a society in order to function if we have a healthcare system that collapses on its knees that's not good for any of us so yes i i strongly advocate for public sector trials and we're actually you've just seen the, the launch of the first one in scotland which will be commencing in january belgium has plans to do one next year as well and several governments across the world have now made this um as either you know policy of their political parties or they've brought it to um working committees within uh, parliaments and legislation because they i suppose they're recognizing that this is something that the public sector can't be left behind on but actually could potentially solve a lot of the issues in the public sector as well are you aware of the trial in the uae that was embarked upon by the public sector i presume you are and, and was adopted by the private sector later um i, th- I think it was a couple of years ago um but it, it, it worked fantastically well the private sector followed the public sector yeah and the uae um i mean the uae has been doing some very interesting things with its working days over the last few years i think they've got rid of sunday as a work day now and have adopted a more westernized um weekend which is you know an interesting thing you would you ever see something like that happening in ireland not with not without you know several i suppose uh committees and years of debate but what i think that if we're talking about the same study the uae also brought in on schools a reduced working hour schedule on their schools and academics there looked at learning outcomes of students Mm. staff satisfaction as well and they found that correlation between improved teaching of staff and improved learning outcomes of students to quite a, a a rapid rate like to the point of where national scores shot up um over the years so a lot of that comes back down to basic physiology around or basic psychology around learning as well. Um, like you think back to college days and when you were studying in a library till two or three a.m. in the morning for an exam at nine a.m. Not the best way to learn. Um, much better to have finished off at two or three o'clock in the day and you know went and got a good night's sleep. Your memory recall was going to be a lot better. So, I I think it's really exciting actually to see this playing out in in many different countries but also many different sectors and and how they're approaching it and it could then translate into the education system uh, at a junior level when you have seven-year-olds going to school for five days a week um 
I mean, yeah, you just wonder, does that make a whole lot of sense? What type, what type of time scale are we talking about here, Dale? And, and what would, what does success look like? So are we talking a five or 10 year project? It's very hard to put a number on this, but um, my, with the rapid rate, I suppose I have seen this conversation grow in two to three years. It's not often that a social idea like this gains such momentum in such a short amount of time mm. that you have to be confident, you know, quietly confident that this is something that is going to become the future of work. Um, and at the way of which we saw flexible and hybrid become extremely normalized, we're going to see shorter working hours become normalized. From a European perspective, I think we'll probably be the first to to jump on this um, ourselves and probably Australasia, particularly Australia. Um, the European Union is already conducting studies around working time and making recommendations in that space. We are now embarking on running pilots in Germany, France, Spain, Italy, uh, Netherlands, Sweden. So in the next two or three years, we're going to see those countries exploding in this sort of conversation as well. And we're obviously running more trials globally as well. So hopefully that will create noise as well. And so begins the media story. And so begins the national conversation around it as well. And the push for legislative change. Um, what I think is interesting is how different countries are actually pushing this conversation. Mm. Somewhere like the US. It's so big. What's the resistance so that you're hearing from the US? I mean, I presume there is quite a lot of resistance. It's it's both. I mean, it's it's such a capitalistic society. So they have these deeply entrenched views about working and working long hours and and work very much being intrinsically linked to identity. But mm. they're also experiencing extreme levels of burnout. And we are seeing legislative proposals coming from Congressman Mark Ticano in the in California, Bernie Sanders just last week has made this part of his future conversations around 32-hour work week. I'm meeting with a senator from Maine, a Republican, next week. So actually, this is getting bipartisan um, conversation because it has benefits for both sides of the political spectrum from, you know, the conservatives. It's been shown to be to improve productivity. It's been shown to improve revenue and, and economic outcomes. And for, you know... Um, for, for more uh, socialist parties, it helps with workers' rights and improving uh, health and well-being of the worker as well. So in, in a way, I think that's probably what's also propelling this conversation. Um, we're, we're not aligned with, you know, any sort of political body or any sort of movement. So therefore, we can simply just provide the data and let the data speak for itself and, and let those stakeholders interpret it and make their own narrative. So you think there could be it would a bipartisan um, movement in the United States? It wouldn't be, say, Democrats versus Republicans. It would be based on data because what I what I believe and what I think is that you know in work in Western society will be driven and led by American style corporate drivers, right? If if they move the Europeans, the Australasians will move as well, logically. And um, particularly with global multinationals who are in multiple jurisdictions and territories, if you can get them all moving in the same direction at the same time, you're, you probably have a greater chance of success, but it would highly likely be led by the Americans. Um, and you would 
but you 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 have the data and the research that indicates a productivity goes up b well-being goes up c employee retention goes up plus in a, a talent acquisition arms race you have advantages over your competitors i'm hearing so so much stuff here in favor of the four-day work week and very little against um Mm. And it's really important to understand the against argument. And I'm always trying to, you know, understand that against argument as well and understand the evidence behind the against mm. argument as well. So in many ways, the against argument has had to change because some of its concerns have been dispelled through the production of data. Mm. But I think both those in agreement, this works and those in disagreement, um, they both recognize this is not easy. Um, and I think that innovation is what we are constantly demanding of the world of work. We need innovation in order to keep up with the pace of which society is growing. So human potential and human capacity can only go so far. At the rapid train rate of which change is growing, we need to start putting safeguards around the worker as part of the unit in a very rapidly changing world. And we will not evolve at the same rate that the environment is evolving. And if we attempt to try and keep up with that, we are really going to enter into a mental health global crisis. So I think what we're seeing is the beginning of this precipice of rapid change. Um, and we're seeing the human worker currently not being able to cope with that. Mm. It's only going to go faster. AI is only going to exponentially grow that change of rate. And we decide with AI whether we want to try to keep up with that or whether we want to leverage the tools that are supposed to help us be more productive and reduce working time in conjunction with that. That was the great promise of technology, mm. um, was that it would reduce our working hours. We would, you know, um, Keynes, the economist, said that he predicted by 2030 we'd be working a 15-hour week with the rate of productivity and change that was about to happen. Mm. Technology increased our productivity significantly and we increased working hours in conjunction with it. AI is going to fundamentally change the conversation as well. Really interesting, the CEO of JP Morgan came out two days ago and said that the next generation will work a 3.5 day work week. So if he's setting the tone, the United... Um, the United... Uh, it, the representatives of Ford uh, mm. as a company, their workers have gone out on strike demanding a four-day week. They were the organization that brought in a five-day week. So we're seeing these global giants showing that maybe we actually do need to change how the worker is working. Um, and that has to be promising from particularly places like America. We did also see in Greece recently that they moved to, um, they have legalized a six-day working week. Um, they're concerned yeah. about productivity, I think, is, is part of the reason for it. But obviously, they're not reading or understanding or, or learning about the data that would suggest the opposite would work. It's, yeah, it's it's really it's really surprising to see uh, Greece very much going the opposite way. European Union reports would suggest that productivity rates in Greece on a five-day week um, were already quite low. Mm. And actually, Greece, relative to other European Union countries, worked longer hours than most European countries. So all the trend is suggesting lower hours lead to better productivity, not just in four-day week trials, but in other, you know, uh, global reports. Mm. 
I can't understand a transition to increase working hours in order to increase productivity if that's not been shown to be effective in your country already. Um, and the final question, closer to home. Um, if companies were considering trialing or doing the eight-week trial, they would reach out to you and you would consult and partner with them, right? So you in Ireland, that service, that opportunity is available. Yeah, so we, we offer global services. So depending on what your organization wants, we have mm. three different offerings. So if you're if you're flirting with the idea and you just want to know how this works, um, maybe you want to do it internally, you have your own change and HR team. We've just launched a foundation program of six hours, um, which essentially brings you on the history of work and how can you transition to a four-day week? What are the key interventions that are actually required. One of the biggest things, might I say, are meeting times. So as simple as reducing, you know, one hour meetings down to 15 minutes, you're already saving a, a serious amount of time, particularly in white collar sector uh, jobs. Mm. So it's it, it seems like a really hard endeavor, but actually for many, it's just about thinking a bit outside the box. Mm. But the foundation course would provide you with some of those fundamentals. The second then is our trial and tested six month pilot. So we will bring you through an eight week syllabus and then we will support you throughout a six month trial. And what we haven't even mentioned here is actually it's not us who evaluate the outcomes. Uh, so we're not biased. We have academic independent evaluation from Boston College and Cambridge University conducted on our trials. And if it's in another country as well, we do local partnerships. So University of Munster in Germany, for example. So this is academic data. It's not ours. Mm. Uh, and so those academics would essentially check in with you independently, try the trial and ask you for, you know, the productivity outcomes, the well-being outcomes, sustainability, equality, et cetera. Um, and then the last one is consulting. So when you think of more traditional, you know, requirements for organizations around conducting workshops or if you want to build a change network or even a business case, um, we offer that for those more complex or non-traditional or larger organizations who don't feel that the former two interventions uh, are sufficient for them. Okay, Dale, I wish you every success in your endeavors. Um, it's a very exciting space. Um, obviously, if you if, if if it is something that is adopted both in Ireland and Europe and globally, it, it could be so meaningful. Um, I know that I, I read a book recently by Bronnie where the five regrets of the dying and at number two was people wish they hadn't worked so hard. Um, Mm. So very intrinsically linked with number one, I think, which was around being with the people that matter most to them. Mm. Uh, and so if we can gift people more time, people will do the things that will help make them feel good about themselves. Um, and that will, in many instances, be connecting with family, connecting with parents or kids, all of those sort of things that we know we want more of in the world. Um, and thank you yeah i think regardless of how this movement goes i think it's brilliant that we're shining a light on uh, toxic behaviors in workplaces particularly around overworking and our relationship to work so if anything if a four-day week is not for you or your organization at this point it at least is starting the conversation for you to have with your teams to say what can we do differently in order to actually improve well-being and that comes to a very fundamental belief that I have is that we need to stop with this tokenistic window shopping wellness within organizations. It is harmful 
for us all. It's it's serving no one's best interest to say that we are investing in the well-being of our workforce um, and instead we're seeing that burnout levels are rising. Yes, it might be easier to do a simple intervention like yoga at lunchtime or to offer EAP or all of those sort of things, which are great to have, but they aren't addressing deep systemic cultural issues that are causing burnout within your workforce. And so do the hard work and you will get the return of investment from it. All of our data, not just Forty Week Global, but all academic literature would suggest that. Do you think companies are some of that, the well-being stuff is virtue signaling and that it is slightly maybe hypocritical in certain aspects? I think most of it is, yes. Mm. Um, I'm deeply passionate about mental health and well-being of people. And I think that there's not enough people having genuine and authentic conversations around the impact that we're all feeling. We all went through a global pandemic that left us all traumatized. Mm. Collectively, we've chose to ignore that. Um, the number one most important thing in the world to keep people happy is connectedness. And we aren't creating a world of work that allows us to feel connected to one another or to the people that matter to us most. Dr. Dale Whelan, I wish you every success in your venture. It's been a real pleasure to talk to you. Um, and yeah, keep doing what you're doing. Thank you Thank so you much. Thank you, Father. It's been a pleasure. My pleasure.